0: All right, our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 through 9, which will sound a little bit familiar after the children's sermon this morning. Exodus 5, 1 through 9, before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and we thank you for all the many good gifts that you have given to us. We thank you especially for the gift of your word. Lord, we do pray that this morning, as we hear your word read and proclaimed, that you would help us to be people who have ears to hear what you are saying to your church. God, help us to have minds that are ready to understand and hearts that are ready to receive your word into our lives. God, that you would continue this morning by your word and by your spirit to make us into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 5 begins this way. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they will keep working and pay no attention to lies. turning then to our gospel reading from Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. As Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan, again crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied, they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning we are looking at uh, Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. We are um, partway through... The messages in Revelation that are given to the various churches, and I'm just now realizing that I ordered these slides in the wrong order, so my apologies, Andrew. But could you go past the. Actually, tell you what, let me just read it first. We'll just read it first, and then we'll go back, we'll get the slides it. That'll work. So we'll, we will read it with no context and then we'll go back and get some context and hopefully it'll make more sense going through it the second time. So this is Revelation chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. This is a message to a church, to the angel of the church in Sardis. It goes like this. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. Okay. So what churches are we talking about? Here's where we get the map that I've been promising you for weeks. Okay. We'll zoom in a bit, but hopefully this, this is the Mediterranean sea, this big area of blue here. We've got Africa down here, Europe up here. This is the area of Israel. There's the boot of Italy kicking Sicily. So now we're going to zoom in to kind of this area. So now this is the area that we're talking about. It's in between Israel and Rome, the city, but is a part of this whole Roman empire. And uh, you can see the cities here that we're talking about. Go ahead and click again. There we go. Let me make it a little more clear this is the island of Patmos where John is having these visions and writing all this. And then he is sending this whole letter of revelation. He is sending it to these churches. And you can tell when you look at this, like how they're arranged, it does go in order. There's like a kind of a mail route <laughs> that you would go on. There's roads connecting these. And the order that he writes these messages to the angel of the church in ephesus and then smyrna and then pergamum and then thyatira today we're looking at sardis and then philadelphia will be next week followed by laodicea this is kind of the order so now hopefully you sort of have that in your mind this is the kind of thing that if you were in one of these churches this geography would just already be in your mind and so it would make sense as you read these messages that they're going in this order and you can almost predict which one is going to be next because this is just the way that the route goes anyway Today, we're going to be talking about Sardis, and I want you to see the, uh, uh, the mountainous region. It's actually kind of right up on those uh, cliffs, and that'll actually be important in the message. Okay, so we have also been, as we've been going through these messages to these churches, we've been noticing familiar pattern in all of them. And that in every message of the church, there are these certain things. And almost every letter has almost all these things. So you have a description of Jesus. Because who he is, is more important than anything going on in that church. <laughs> so we get that first. Then we have what's going on in the church. And the fact that Jesus actually knows what's going on in his church. And then, in most churches, we will have him talk about the things that they are doing well that they have that are going right, that they should continue in that. And then in most churches, we have things that are not going so well, things that they have where they have uh, fallen away or gotten off track and ways that they need to repent. And then at the end of every message, we have uh, sort of this looking forward to if you're really a church that is staying true to Jesus and in the midst of all the pressures of this world, whether they are the pressures of temptation or the pressures of persecution, that you're staying true to Jesus in the midst of all of that, to the one who is victorious in that way, then there are good things to come. And all that points to things that uh, we see later in the book of Revelation with the coming of the kingdom of God in its fullness. And then finally, every letter has... Word for word, the phrase, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And it's for this reason that we understand that all of these messages are for all of the churches, wherever uh, they may find themselves or whenever they may find themselves. And so these messages actually have to do with even this church and even today. That said, this particular message is a rough one. So as I said, some of the messages uh, include positives, you know, here's what you're doing right, and then some of them, here's what you're doing that you need to turn away from and repent of, and, uh, but not all of them have all those things. And so next week will be a much more positive letter where there's really nothing for them to repent of. It is just a letter of encouragement of here's what you've got that's going right and keep on doing that. Don't give up. We'll look at that next week. This week, it's the opposite. This week, it's like you're not doing anything right, and you got to change everything. <laughs> and so uh, if this morning sounds a bit discouraging, hang on for next week. That is coming. But it is important that we do hear uh, each of the messages to each of the churches, and this one is no exception. We certainly need to hear this message today. Um, so as it begins, of course, it begins with this uh description of Jesus, and as we have pointed out before, the description of Jesus comes from the vision that John has of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, where we see Jesus as the one who is both God and man, who is both priest and king, uh, the one who, is, um, who has authority over all of the universe and who knows his church intimately. And so we have this whole uh, image of him you know, walking among the lampstands and the lampstands are the churches. And, and so here we have this same kind of description. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Um, a lot of sevens in revelation. Uh, and here we have this as a, it's always this number of completion. And so when we're talking about the seven spirits, we're not Oh, how many spirits are there of God? Count them up that way. But this is, you know, if you check your footnotes, most Bibles have a footnote here that says, or the sevenfold spirit. And this is a uh, reference also um, to Isaiah chapter 11, when it talks about the uh, shoot coming up from the stump of Jesse. And then it, it talks about how the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of, wisdom and of understanding and of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And you count all that up and you go, That's that's seven things. Well, isn't that interesting? And so it's a way of describing the Spirit of God in all his fullness. And that this is uh you know, these are the words of the one who holds the fullness of the Spirit of God. What a way of describing Jesus, right? And then, and the seven stars, and he actually even says in chapter one, um, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so uh, when we look at Jesus being the one who's holding these things, that he is the one who, is, uh, who knows them closely, but also who is over them with authority, and this is his... Uh, holding them as though he is able to use them. I mean, these are the things that you, you know, what you have in your hand is what you are able to do something with. And so he acts by the spirit of God, but he also acts through the angels of the churches and through the churches themselves. And yet then we have this uh, rough description of the church in Sardis, which he says, I know your deeds. This is what he said to all the churches so far. I know your deeds. But then he says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. That's not what you want to hear, is it? We have ways uh, today of kind of crafting our reputations that we put out there on social media that are different than the real us, right? Right? And we all know that. We all know that's the case. Yet we're still fooled when we see other people's social media (laughs) feeds and we're like, oh my goodness, everything's going well in their life. Why is everything wrong with me? And so we compare ourselves to false versions of other people. Um, But so we know the difference between how things appear and how they really are, what somebody presents themselves as being or what everybody thinks about somebody and what they really are behind the scenes. And Jesus says, I know what you're really like. So you might think that what's most important is what everybody thinks about you and what your reputation is. And he says, no, what's most important is what's actually true about you. And I know that. And he says, here's what everybody thinks about you as a church. So what he's saying to the church in Sardis is you have a reputation of being alive. If you were to ask anybody around the area, Hey, what about that church in Sardis? How are they doing? They'd be like, Oh, great. They seem to really have it going on. And Jesus says, so you've, you've crafted that reputation. Everybody would say that you're alive, but I know the truth and you're actually dead. That's a pretty big contrast and not a good one. This is, um, you know, how could you possibly have your rep- reputation of being alive when you're actually dead? But if we think back to uh, things that Jesus said in like John 15, when he says, I am the vine and you are the branches, right? Uh, remain in me and I, rem- and I will remain in you. Uh, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Isn't that interesting? And so you think about the, uh, the vine and the branches, you break it off. And so you, you break off like this bunch of grapes from the vine. And now they're just laying there. And it's like, well, what's going to happen to that over time? What's going to happen to that uh, branch? Is it just going to keep on producing fruit? No. And so you know, may be sitting there, still grapes on the vine, and people coming by and going, hey, look, look at this branch. And that branch is like, yeah, I'm totally a you know, grapevine branch. That's what I am. That's what I, that's what I do. Look at all this fruit. But anybody who knows anything about grapes and vineyards would look at this disconnected from the vine and go, no, <laughs> you used to be producing fruit, but you're not anymore. And now you're maybe trying to coast on things from the past, but in reality, you're already dead. That's what Jesus is talking about in uh, John 15. Then there's something else he talks about. This is this letter, by the way, uses the word name a lot, um, and so actually in Greek, the word for reputation there is just name. So it's like you have a name of being alive, but really you're dead. And uh, the way of saying it back then. Well, in Matthew 7, Jesus talks about, you know, this is kind of what I think about when thinking about John 15 and that, you know, apart from me, you can do nothing. And it's like, but people do stuff apart from Jesus all the time. How can he say apart from me, you can do nothing? So listen to this. This is in uh, John seven twenty one and following. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Doing lots of stuff. It says, Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Do you hear that? So it's not that they can't do anything. It's that apart from him, you can't do anything that counts for anything in the kingdom of God. I mean, he even talks about the one who, um, it's the one who does the will of my father in heaven. And then you look at the things that he's saying. It's people who are uh, prophesying in Jesus' name. Does he not, does the father in heaven not want people to prophesy in Jesus' name? Or people driving out demons in Jesus' name? Or performing many miracles in the name of Jesus? Does, does his father in heaven not want people to do those things? Well, it depends, doesn't it? And what does it depend on? It depends on our connection to the vine. And so that's the kind of thing where if you have the uh, branch that has separated itself from the vine, anything it now produces is not good. And so we have um, this description of people who are doing things that if there were a connection, (laughs) that would be good, but if not, it's not good. So you think about, um, (laughs) okay, this one's going to get a little gross. So my apologies, but you can have a chicken running around. You know where this is going. Most of you, some of you, this is going to come as a surprise. You can have a chicken running around and going from place to place on purpose, or you can have a chicken that gets its head cut off that can still run around, but it's not really going from anywhere to anywhere on purpose. Right? A little gross. Okay. But continually in the New Testament, you know, we're referred to as the body of Christ with Jesus as the head. You cut the body off from the head. Any activity that it's doing at that point, cut off from the head, is not intentional, purposeful, and actually going along with what the head is desiring. This was the case for the church in Sardis. They're doing all kinds of things. I know your deeds, Jesus says. You have a reputation of being alive. You don't get a reputation of being alive unless you're actually doing something. So they're doing stuff. But he says, but you're actually dead. Because they've been cut off uh, from Jesus as a whole. Not every single one of them. We'll get to that. But as a whole, they have cut themselves off from Jesus. And so here's what he says Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. We get multiple things that he's saying. Do this, do this, do this, do this. (laughs) And what are the things they're supposed to do? Is it go out and do more things? No. It is strengthen what remains. So wake up, strengthen what remains. And is about to die. Remember what you've received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. All of this, all of this is the heart stuff. All of this is getting connected back with Jesus again as a whole, as a church, but also individually. And so uh, that wake up, be watchful, pay attention, be alert. Recognize what your condition really is. That's what they're supposed to do first. They apparently have been going along with the ways of the Roman Empire enough that everything they're doing cut off from the head. There's no distinction. In fact, this is one of the churches where we don't see any evidence of persecution. Well, why not? Maybe there's no distinction between this church and the Roman Empire. And so they can use the name of Jesus all they want, and that doesn't make them actually Christian. So he says, wake up, realize what your situation is, and then do what it takes to fan the flames. You have just the one spark left. Fan that. How is it that we can get close to Jesus If we have drifted from him, what are the things that we can do that encourage one another, encourage ourselves to stay close to Jesus so that as we're facing the things in this world that are, you know, persecutions or difficulties that make it difficult to stay close to Jesus, we still stay close to Jesus. What are the things that we can do so that even in this world where we find temptations to go away from Jesus, we still stay close to Jesus? What are the things that root us to him? He says, remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. I suspect that receiving has to do with receiving the Holy Spirit and hearing has to do with the gospel message itself. Remember. You have the word of God and you have the spirit of God. That ought to make you different. That should, shouldn't it? To people who don't have the word of God or the spirit of God. Remember what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. So if they've been going away, they need to turn around. That's what repent means. Turn around and come back. To Jesus again, and then he says, "But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you." This is the uh, part. This whole section has to do with things going on in Sardis geographically. I'll point out one of them, and that's uh, the part that has to do with this waking up and being alert. Is um, because of the geography of Sardis, being up high on a cliff, uh, they were really not open to attacks from the outside. And so, as a city, they got pretty comfortable. They didn't need to have strong defenses because they had natural strong defenses around them. And so, most of the time, if a military kind of came up to try to take them, you just couldn't couldn't do it. You couldn't get there. Except for twice. And twice this happened uh, in Sardis, where apparently someone would climb up the cliffs, like a single person would climb up the cliffs in the night and kind of sneak into the city and open the gates, and then a military could just come right on in. And it's like, well, okay, that's pretty clever method of attack um, and certainly one they wouldn't see coming the first time. (laughs) But you would think after the first time that's happened, it would be like, oh, clearly this city has does have a vulnerability. Maybe we should have people who watch the cliffs, who are alert and watchful, who aren't going to let this happen again. But, you know, over time, you get comfortable. That's not going to happen again. So you stop watching. And then it happens again. And it's to this city. But the message of Jesus is wake up, <laughs> be alert. And if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. So here's the thing. Jesus is coming and he is coming as a rescuer for his people. But for those who have turned away from him, he's not coming as a rescuer. He will come as a thief and it will be, uh, you know, if, if everything you're doing is about building your own kingdom instead of his, then when he comes, your kingdom's going to fall. like that's how that works. His is the one that will endure. And so if you have been only building your own kingdom when he comes, it's not going to be as a rescuer and as a deliverer into uh, his own kingdom of truth and righteousness that'll seem more like a thief that you're like, "Whoa whoa whoa no, 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 don't come, don't come but the people of Jesus should be saying, yes, please come, come soon. He does say that there are a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes and they will walk with me. This is what the whole thing is about. This is walking with Jesus. It says they will be the ones who are dressed in white, will never have their names blotted out of the book of life. He says, I will acknowledge that name before my father. And his angels. This. This is what we are. To look forward to. To hope for. To live in light of. But it's so easy. To get off track. It's so easy to get. Disconnected. To be lulled to sleep. And to go. Away from Jesus, even be led away from Jesus by people who use His name. He covers that in Matthew seven as well. They will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Watch out, as He says here. Wake up. Um, years ago, last story. <laughs> years ago, I was on a committee dealing with churches. And uh, there were two different churches who were in nearby areas to each other. And both of them had uh, just kind of dwindled over the years to the point that there were just a handful of members left in each church. And so they were coming to the denomination, you know, help us out. What do we do? And this is where I first learned a particular phrase. The Phrase was hospice church, and this was one of the options given to the churches. Said, so "Here's what we could do: we could, we could have somebody come in, and as each of you ages and dies, they will just will have somebody who comes in and is just there with you as you die, and then the church dies, and that's it." And the guy who was telling me about this uh, option was saying yeah you know, that's what I call a hospice church, <laughs> or I said here 's what we could do. We could bring somebody in who is a trained evangelist who could help you to learn to spread the good news to your neighbors and have um, you know even in this changing community have a, you, know, you may have to change a lot about the way that you do things that you do, but in the hopes of continuing to do what this church is actually supposed to be about, which is helping people to come into a relationship with Jesus. And here's the thing. those Both churches had both options. One church chose one, one church chose the other. And to the one that chose to be a hospice church, it was just so sad. Because what they were saying is, We really don't care about doing the things that Jesus has called us to do. We don't care about our neighbors having new life in Jesus. What we care about is that we stay comfortable. That we don't have to get out of our own routines. That we don't have to do anything that is uh, unusual for us. In fact, We just don't have to do anything for anybody but us. And when they make that choice, it's almost like, well, then you should close today. What's the point of even having the hospice church thing? Like, you're already dead as a church. You're not doing what Jesus has called you to do. But it's understandable. Because following Jesus for real can be hard. There was a time when uh, Jesus, after preaching, a whole bunch of people just went away. The 12 stayed, and Jesus turns to him and he says, aren't you going to leave too? And Peter, speaking up for the whole group, says, where else would we go? You alone have the words of life. And Peter gets it wrong an awful lot, but this is one of those times where he really gets it right that it would be a lot easier to go away from Jesus. But everywhere away from Jesus is just a road to death. Jesus alone has the words of life. And so it is Jesus who comes to this church that is, for all intents and purposes, dead at this point. And in mercy and in grace, still extends to them the opportunity to come to life. How cool is that? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we do. Um, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. or we thank you for the life that you have given to us and we thank you for the life that you offer to us. Lord, we pray for your church around the world and we pray for this congregation uh, specifically. Lord, in the areas where we have drifted and gotten off track, where we have um, gotten uh, disconnected from you, God, that you would wake us up God, that you would show us what it looks like for us to repent, to come back, and to do everything we do out of a living and loving and trusting relationship with you through Jesus, empowered by your spirit. We pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.